This is Sean Mandoli, and you're listening to the Whole Plant Church Podcast. I hope you encounter God and walk in new levels of freedom as a result of listening to this message. Enjoy. So um, let me pray, and then we'll let Jeff share. Father, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. We thank you, God, for, for Jeff, for the anointing on his life. And we just pray, God, in the name of Jesus, uh, God, that you uh, minister to us through him. I pray, Lord, and I, I thank you, Lord, that, that we overcome the devil mm. by the word of our testimony, God, by the yes. blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So I just pray that this word literally breathes life into our spirit and our soul today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go for it, Jeff. Awesome. All right. So... Um, thank you, Pastor Sean, for the, the kind words of encouragement and just for giving me this, this opportunity. And um, some of you might know pieces of my story, maybe a little bit of, of the background I, I come from, but I've really wanted to do this with, with Hopeland for a while. And, you know, P. Sean's in a, in a Sunday series called Recycle, Repurpose. And tonight, you know, Stories of Hope, um, this is really the, the perfect opportunity to do that. And even as I was preparing, you know, the Lord, he's, he's given me fresh revelation. He's, uh, he's given me a, a, a fresh healing and, and it's cool. Cause as I've been walking the Lord, there's a, there's a certain hindsight that, uh, that takes place where I'm able to correlate certain things that, that I didn't notice before. So I, I know this is timely. I know this is from the Lord and I really hope you guys are blessed and, and encouraged. I, I appreciate everyone uh, being here. And uh, really, I hope you guys are, are given hope. That's, um, that's my heart's desire, is that by the end of this, there would, there would be a deposit of hope. So I'm, I'm going to be really intentional about the pieces of my story that I share. And, um, and through that, display the redemptive work of Christ. Um, I'll let you guys know up front that I am going to go there with, with some of what I share. Um, cause I really just, I want you guys to see how far the Lord's brought me. And in order to do that, I, I need to, to take you to, to a certain place. And, uh, and then at the end, I'm just going to kind of share a few spiritual assets that, that I have now that, you know, I didn't have, uh, before coming to Christ. So, so yeah, I, I serve at Hopeland Church as the Next Steps Director. I've been uh, with Hopeland since the beginning of 2018. So it's been about uh, three and a half years. I've been walking with the Lord for about five years now. And it's, uh, it's been an amazing journey. You know, there were, there were some really um, dark times in my life. And I'm going to get into some of that uh, this evening. But just from the outset, as a precedent, I know I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. God, he continues to move. He continues to open doors. He continues to move in my life. He continues to give me new opportunities. He's, he continues to surprise me. And ever since I said yes to Jesus, he's, he's never failed me. So, you know, everything I'm about to share, I, really, I wouldn't change any of it. So uh, I grew up in the Lakes region area of New Hampshire. It's about two hours from Boston. I lived in uh, in the region of New England for really the first 25 years of my life. 
And uh, one of the, the first major events that took place is, is my parents divorcing when I was eight years old. And uh, my mom and dad, they, they both uh, remarried. Um, my mom's house was, was very stable, whereas uh, my dad, he, he moved around a lot. Um, I'm the oldest of, of three siblings. I have a, a younger sister, Kelly, who's four years younger than me. And then uh, my brother, Logan, who's, who's with us this evening. He's, uh, he's, he's eight years younger than me. And, um, you know, my, my real dad uh, struggled a lot. Um, as a child, I, I probably lived upwards to in maybe 20 different houses. So I had, uh, I had four parents. Uh, two very different households. And uh, right from the beginning, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of mixed signals. You know, at, at my mom's house, things are orderly. There's rules. Um, I, I, I have a room to sleep in. At my dad's house, I, I sleep on the couch. But, you know, there's like a freedom. And even in the last couple of houses where I finally had my own room, that's that's where I would kind of hide out for, you know, 20 hours a day. just as a kid. And, uh, you know, I loved, um, my parents. Um, but I really, I, I struggled with, um, with having step parents. Um, I would even say growing up that, you know, I, I hated my, my step parents. Um, you know, my real dad, he was, he was more of like a friend than a father figure, but my stepdad, he, he comes in as a disciplinarian, he was the only boy out of out of five siblings. Uh, his dad laid hands on him he, when he was younger. So, my you know my stepdad never laid a hand on me, but um, his form of love was, hey, look, I put food on the table. You have you have a roof over your head. And then on the other side, my my stepmom, she made it very clear from the start that she married my dad strictly for him that she wanted nothing to do with my sister and I, um, very verbally abusive, you know, she would call my sister names that a, a young girl should, should never have to hear. So just from the, from the outset, as the oldest, I felt a burden that, um, I couldn't fulfill. I felt like I was in a trap situation. And honestly, I didn't even know really what I wanted. So, I was even presented with this idea like, hey, one day you can choose who you want to live with. But I didn't want that. I just I kind of wanted things to be OK. But uh, with that being said, I, I had a decent childhood. You know, at the end of the day, I was I was taken care of. I was taught good morals, you know, not not necessarily um, biblical per se. It wasn't exclusively a Christian home. But I was I was taught right and wrong. I, I had food on the table, but I was I was very angry, um, really, for the first 25 years of my life. I was controlled by anger. It was that was like my go to defense mechanism. I knew it, it created a stigma where people knew like I was liable to go off. So that was my escape. That was my excuse. I was also very bitter. I was very resentful. I, uh, I had extreme social anxiety. I just remember in high school, my heart was constantly pounding, um, a social mess. 
But one of the one of the big parts of my testimony is I was closed off to the world. So even this stuff that I'm sharing with you guys right now, I mean, this is stuff that I buried for 20 years. Uh, so I just bottled everything up. I used it as a chip on my shoulder. I was also very depressed. I was actually told from childhood that I would likely struggle with depression because it quote unquote runs in the family. Later on, I, I found out that hidden addiction runs in certain parts of my family. And, you know, that was something I didn't find out till even just, just a few years ago. Now, in, in the midst of all this, I, I have a safe haven I would run to. And, and that was my grandfather's house, right? The one that, that uh, I was just talking about. So he was like my favorite relative. Again, he owned his own sawmill. Uh, I had two uncles that worked for him. And that's what I did from the age of 12. So that was that was my weekends. That was my my summertime. That was um, my escape. You know, uh, if we weren't watching the, the Celtics, Bruins, Red Sox or Patriots together, we were we were at the dog track. That was like his pastime. So that's where I get my passion for Boston sports. You know, something he kind of ingrained in me from the age of age of three. And uh, my grandfather passes away when I'm in high school, uh, I think my junior year, it's a very critical point in my life. Um, at this time, I was involved in a, in a toxic relationship. Um, my depression turned into uh, thoughts of suicide. I was a guinea pig for antidepressants. And I, I ended up going to this facility for a week called uh, Hampstead Hospital. It was, uh, it was very humbling. And it helped me realize, you know, I don't, I don't have it as bad as, as some of the people that, that were here. And they, they get me on this antidepressant slash anger medicine. And even some of my family still takes it today. But, you know, it was, it was a band-aid on a bullet wound. It was, it was not the answer. Now, I get out of that toxic relationship. And uh, I end up, you know, with another girl. And at the time, I'm, uh, I'm head over heels in love with her. It's like that, that young summertime puppy love type, type vibe. I'm also working at a bank at, as a bank teller. So they had a program where they would hire you as, as a high school student, and they would decide whether or not to keep you after a couple of years, if that's something you wanted to maybe consider as like a career opportunity. So I reached this point where I finally think I, I'm okay. I'm figuring this out. Uh, I've got a good job, graduating high school, getting ready for college. I'm I'm out of this relationship that I felt trapped in. I'm in this new relationship, and um, you know we we did our thing one summer, and and then she went to uh, study abroad. She had an opportunity to go to Greece, and it was like a no brainer. Like yeah, do that. So we said, you know, I love you. I, I I'll miss you. And, uh, and I'll see you when you get back. And, um, you know, things happen. And that was actually the, the last time that I had, I ever saw her. And um, it just, it broke me. And, um, you know, as I look back, that's kind of the foundation that led up to the crossroads in my life. My parents divorce, uh, death of my grandfather, I go through this heartbreak. And really, I just I said, screw everything. Now, up until this point, so we're talking like senior year of high school, 
Um, I'm, you know, for the most part, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a kid. I, I was introduced to God at a younger age. So my mom, she was, she was intentional about making sure I attended Sunday school, but the thing was nothing ever resonated. I, I knew of God, but I didn't know God. I didn't have a relationship with Christ. So when I became a teenager, I, I just kind of stopped going to church. I didn't really think uh, twice about it. But, you know, in the meantime, I, I did good in school, got decent grades like B's and C's. But I always had an identity issue. I, uh, I had no interest in hanging out with any particular group, whether it's the quote unquote troublemakers or the jocks or, or the nerds, whatever. I was just I was never part of anything. You know, I, I played sports, but I wasn't like in that crowd. So like teammates would ignore me. Um, I was MIA at like the, the parties and stuff. And really, my friend group was was like a handful of uh, like outcasts or misfits. Like one of them was a kid that had moved from New York. One of them was a kid that had moved from, from Texas. So that was like my group. And, uh, I just, I remember I just got to this point where I was mad at the world and, uh, and I wanted to be rebellious. I wanted to do my own thing. So I start going to parties. I, uh, I start hanging out with, with different people, one day I, I throw a party at, at my mom's house while they're away for the weekend. I, I get caught. I get kicked out. I go to live with my dad. Um, at this point, I had gotten fired from the bank. Um, I was attending a community college at the time and just kind of fizzled out. I stopped going. And then eventually I, I get hired at a, at a telemarketing place and I had uh, two two roommates. I, I got my first apartment with uh, with two roommates, and this was really uh, the beginning of of my life kind of spiraling out of control. So basically, uh, my life turns into hustling phones during the week and hosting parties on the weekend. And at this job, it was uh, it was a very toxic environment. Um, the owner had actually previously been to prison for, for cocaine sales. So he went the legal way of hustling and he opened a telemarketing company. And at this place, nobody cares what you're doing as long as you're being productive on the phone. So, so I'm working there. I, I start building these relationships that really don't have value. I'm, I'm living with these two roommates and we're just like, okay, we're young. And, and that was my excuse was like, I'm young. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I'm going to live it up. No one's going to, no one's going to stop me. So it, it starts with, with weed and alcohol. And for about two years, um, that's all it was, but I'm, I'm not in high school anymore. I don't need to hide from my parents anymore. I'm living on my own. I have my own freedom. So, so then I, I slowly get introduced to different party drugs and, and really I'm in this place and I'm in this state of mind where I'm like, I'm going to try anything once. So, so throughout the next year or so, I, you name it, uh, mushrooms, acid, ecstasy, cocaine, Adderall, Percocet, Oxycontin, uppers, downers, hallucinogenics. 
And, you know, this science experiment is grafted into the fact that I'm drinking heavily at least a few times a week. I'm smoking weed religiously every single day, but um, I'm doing good at my job. I'm, I'm paying my bills. I'm getting along with my family because I'm, you know, I'm hiding everything. And um, even then, like I knew, don't don't touch the heavy stuff, crack, meth, heroin. Now, unbeknownst to me, my roommate had become addicted to to heroin. So we're so we're so blind, right? We're so we're so caught up in what we have going on that we couldn't even tell that there was this major change that had that had taken place. And I was still kind of ignorant to what that fully entailed, you know, um, like you're addicted to heroin. What what does that mean? So if it's that bad, don't do it. Because, again, like I was I was trying all this stuff and maybe I wouldn't do it again or maybe I would try something once in a while. But um, one day my my roommate, he he offers me a, a free line of heroin and and I took it and um, my immediate reaction was I want to feel this way the rest of my life. And um, this is this is really the part of of my story where I need to take you guys to a dark place. So it, it's euphoric. It, it was pain numbing. I felt like I could do anything. There was this confidence that I had been looking for years. I felt like a superhero and it was and it was immediate. So like literally from the very second that I took that first line of dope, I was, I was in love. And, uh, and for the next five years of my life, I would literally do everything to chase that feeling and it would take everything away from me. So the very next day I, I purchased my own bag and kind of repeat that process for a few months, basically whatever you know, money I was spending on, on weed or alcohol. I just started spending on, on dope. And just to kind of show you guys where my mindset was, we had a, we had a freedom at our job to work as much overtime as, as we want. So I just, I instinctively start working 80 hours a week, day shift and night shift to feed my addiction, you know, from the outside looking in, it's, it's very obvious what's taking place. But at this point, I don't even consider myself addicted, right? I'm just, I'm, hey, I'm getting high and I'm doing, I like doing this and I'm just doing what I do to make it happen. So I'm already blind. I'm, I'm already deceived. And uh, instead of, you know, partying on the weekends, I'm, I'm in my room by myself just getting high. So then like that familiar, familiarity starts creeping in of isolation, depression, I become extremely distant from my family, guilt, shame, regret, you know, um, this was not supposed to happen. Right. Um, I was never supposed to get to a point where I'm labeled a drug addict. Right. I was raised the right way. I was taught better. But the reality is addiction doesn't discriminate and and none of that matters. So one day I'm like, OK, this feels good, but I'm spending a lot of money. So I'm, I'm just going to stop doing it. And this is where I get my first taste of uh, being dope sick, which is like, that's where your body is experiencing withdrawals from the drug. And 
the way I would describe that, it's like having the flu times 100. So you have every symptom, puking, headache, uh, your entire body aches, your legs can't sit still because of how bad the aches are. You're, you're pouring sweat, but you're shivering to the bone. You can't sleep. And, and in that moment, the only thing you want is, is to feel better or, or die. And um, in that moment, there's only one thing that's going to make it feel better, which is the very source of the pain itself. So now, like, I'm just, I'm doing this just to feel better. I'm, I'm not even getting high anymore. So I get involved with, with another woman I shouldn't be with. Uh, my roommate goes to rehab. I move in with this girl. I'm hiding everything. I'm, I stop talking to my family. And eventually, uh, I go to this place called the Phoenix House. It's like a 28-day uh, residential program, NA, 12 Steps, Sponsorship. I get out, I relapse within two, two weeks. And for the next couple of years of my life, um, that became a cycle. Get clean, relapse, go on a drug run, repeat the cycle. And within each, within each drug run, you know, there was like, there were new lines that I started crossing that I said I would never cross. So like one of them was stealing, you know, I would rather go through dope sickness than be called a thief. Well, I ended up robbing and, and ripping off many people to the point I, I stole from my own father. You know, he had these rings that were part of a future inheritance. I got a, arrested for, for stealing from, from Walmart. And another line I crossed is, is that I started um, using a needle. So instead of, instead of sniffing heroin, I'm now, I'm now injecting it in my veins and this becomes another addiction uh, in itself. And really, this is where my life hits its lowest point. So the girl I was living with, I get kicked out of her house. I get kicked out of my dad's house ever after that. Uh, I was not welcome at my mom's house. And I had, I had a friend who had gotten released from, from prison, and he kind of had a, a previous struggle with addiction. So he's trying to, he's doing the Good Samaritan thing. And uh, he lets me sleep on on his couch, which was a big mistake. So so one day I'm you know I'm I'm getting high at his house, and I experienced my my first overdose. And uh, so I, I did the shot, and and I wake up in the hospital. And my friend, you know, he calls nine one one, and he said that after I I did the shot, I immediately collapse. I, I hit my head off his kitchen floor. And he said that my face was was purple by the time the paramedics arrive and they bring me back to life, literally flatline. They bring me back to life with a with a reversal drug called Narcan. Um, basically, Narcan, it's it's an opiate blocker. It uh, it gets it gets the opiates out of your system and it puts you into that immediate withdrawal, that that immediate dope sickness at its like most heightened form. So. So rightfully so, my friend, he kicks me out and uh, my mom, she she works for the town hall. So she's got a lot of resources and she was able uh, to find me this this tiny little cottage to move into right away. So so now 
I'm uh, at this point, I'm just I'm completely and utterly alone. And there is no safeguard that's going to stop me from killing myself. Uh, I survived an overdose. I went to rehab and it didn't work. My family's not talking to me. I'm on the verge of getting fired. I receive an eviction notice shortly after that. My car stops working. And really at, at this point, my, my heroin shots are suicidal. So like if I got an $800 paycheck, 700 of it was getting spent. And then the other hundred would get spent on dope the next day. And then for the rest of the week, I would hustle and grind and suffer and kick claw and bite. And it, it was a full-time, it was a full-time job on top of a full-time job. So I had been living in this cottage for six months. Um, I hadn't unpacked anything. It's the middle of New England winter and the propane tanks empty. Uh, laundry's not a thing. Um, eating is, is not a thing. Taking care of myself is, is not a thing. So my entire life, you know, every waking moment is, is centered around this one thing. Now, through all of this, my mom, she knew someone that had gone through this program called Teen Challenge, which, uh, which again is where I work, where I work today. And uh, just to give you a little background, so Teen Challenge, it's, it's a one-year uh, Christian discipleship, and it's for people who struggle with drugs, alcohol, other life-controlling issues. So, so my mom tells me about this place, but I'm stubborn, right? I'm not, I'm not going to another program, but I'm also, I'm completely miserable. I, uh, I, I, I overdose a second time in a gas station bathroom. You know, I had to be brought back to life again. I literally, I said to the paramedic, why did you revive me? Like, just let me die. So th this is my life. And, um, you know, my mom did the bravest thing she could. And these words are forever engraved in my membrane. She said, Jeff, I love you. I'm always going to love you. but." Until you're ready to change, do not call me. When you want me to bring you to Teen Challenge, you can call me. And she meant it. And, you know, she, she stuck to those words. So one night, I, uh, I randomly go to an NA meeting. And I hadn't been to a meeting in months. You know, even when I was going, I wasn't really engaged in what they were doing. But there was this woman there who would always check on me. So we're at the break one, one night. And, you know, she says, hey, Jeff. I haven't seen you seen you in a while. How how are you doing? And uh, and I told her the truth. You know, I I can't stop. Uh, I know that if I keep going, I'm I'm gonna die, and uh, and I'm okay with that. And and I meant it. And this woman responds with, "Have you ever heard of Teen Challenge?" <laughs> so that that's like that was the last thing I wanted to hear, right? But about a month later, you know, as everything's crumbling around me, I enter into the doors of Teen Challenge. This is uh, this is in 2015. And I'm introduced to the love of God. I'm taught about this freedom in Christ. I'm hearing all these different testimonies of all these people who have been using for years and years. And they're now clean and sober. They're serving the Lord. I'm told that God has a plan and purpose for my life. 
and I go through this process for, for 10 months. And, uh, the problem was I, I didn't give my life to Jesus. I was, uh, I was just going through the motions. I had my agenda. I'm just here to get clean and sober. I want to, I want to go back to live a normal life. You know, I just want to appease my family. I was still trying to make things work with this, this, uh, this woman I had previously been with. So, so, you know, it's a 15 month program back on the East coast. And after 10 months, I leave, you know, this, the person I'm with, she's like, well, if you feel like you've changed and if you feel like you're ready to come home, then, then do it. So I leave. So once again, I quit. I don't finish what I start. And, uh, you know, like a dog returning to his vomit, I, I go back to a, a familiar environment. I, I put my Bible down. I stop attending church. And eventually a, a hit of weed turns, turns it into a, a bag of heroin. And I'm right back on that hamster wheel of insanity. But, you know, even then, as I'm rejecting God's plan for my life, as I take my own will back, even then he showed me his grace and mercy. So instead of going on this long, painful run and having to do this all over again, I, I was using again for about three three weeks and God spares me again by divine intervention. So at this, at this point, I'm working for a paving company and um, we, I, I had to work in a different state. So they would like put me in a hotel room during the week. So like Sunday afternoons was my, was my travel day. And uh, you know, I'm high, I'm hiding stuff again. So that was like my day to go pick up my drugs Right. So so before I start driving, I, uh, I pick up a bag of dope and uh, I sniff the entire thing. I get in my car to start driving and uh, and I overdose uh, at the wheel. So this is this is my third overdose. But this time I'm I'm operating a vehicle. So this is what I remember is I rear ended the person in front of me and then I went to speed off. And really, after I sped off as I'm going in and out. That's really where, where I, where I black out. And I remember uh, I hit a tree and the, the glass in the windshield spider web and, and I woke up in the ambulance. Well, it turns out that my foot was full throttle on the gas. And after I hit the tree, my, my car kept going until I ended up 200 yards in, in the middle of the woods. So glass, glass is shattered in every window all four tires are off the rims and I, I did not have a single scratch on my body. Uh, it's the middle of the night. My car's in the middle of the woods. I flatline. They were, they revive me again with Narcan within minutes of permanent death. And, you know, just to put it in perspective, when, when you're talking about a, an opiate drug overdose, you're talking about like a five minute window um, before it's too late. And God allowed me to survive three of those. So when I, so when I woke up in the ambulance, man, I just remember I had this overwhelming sense of peace. You know, I, I knew I was finished. I knew this is the last time you're ever going to have to do this. 
And, and I knew immediately what I needed to do. So like, even at the hospital, the nurses that are taking care of me, I mean, they're like angels, like it's divine how they're, they're taking care of me. They're encouraging me. They're speaking life into me. They're telling me that they believe in me. So I, so I call team challenge from the hospital bed. This is a, this is a Monday and I make it back into the program that Friday and it, it was a wrap. Uh, the rest, the rest is history. So I go back to Teen Challenge in 2016. I've got a smile on my face. I've got a joy in my heart. I'm, I'm grateful to be alive. I'm ready to accept God's plan for my life. I'm ready to actually start dealing with these things that I've ignored and suppressed. Um, I'm on fire. I'm going to let this process happen. I'm not going to fight. I don't have my own agenda. I'm actually going to get uncomfortable. And I'm going to have some conversations with these pastors that are that are counseling me, right? I uh, I establish a, a real relationship with Christ. I'm in God's Word every single day, and like whatever they ask me to do, I just I work my hardest. Whether it was to clean toilets or to share my testimony at on a choir outing, and through this process, like God speaking to me, calling me into full time ministry. And, you know, I have no idea what that looks like. I have no idea what that entails, but I just, I know like, Hey, you're going to spend the rest of your life serving me. So about halfway through teen challenge, I, uh, I begin to start thinking about what's, what's next for my life. And I get it narrowed down to a few different options. Um, one was to stay at teen challenge, New Hampshire and to do an apprenticeship. And then, you know, maybe they would hire me. There was a, a Bible college in Massachusetts called North Point, where uh, Teen Challenge alumni get uh, 50% off their tuition. So that was like a lucrative uh, thing that was right there. And then um, also I heard about the Teen Challenge Ministry Institute in, in Los Angeles. So I pray about it. I'm seeking counsel about it. You know, I talked to my family about it and it was just like confirmation after confirmation, you know, uh, you're single, you have no kids. There's nothing in New Hampshire that like you need to hold on to. This could be a once in a lifetime opportunity to, to move across the country. So I go to TCMI, right? It's a teen challenges, Bible college, you know, you, you study, uh, Bible courses there, but it's also, uh, and it, it engages in hands-on ministry experience. So it's like, it's the real deal. And, you know, ever since I made that decision to that, that f initial decision to follow the Lord, I've, uh, I've really, I've lived my life one season at a time, you know, just open to whatever the Lord wants, wants to do in my life. So I, I even carried that mindset with me, uh, when I went, went to TCMI, you know, I don't, I don't know anyone in California. I've never been, but I don't have my own agenda. I don't know where this is going to lead, but I'm here to further my identity in Christ, discover my spiritual gifts and find out God's plan for me. So it's at TCMI, like Pastor Sean was saying that I, uh, I get introduced to Hopeland Church. It was, uh, it was Sanctuary LA at the time. So I was one of the interns from TCMI. That's the church that I was assigned to for, for my year at TCMI. And um, literally, 
the very first time I entered Sanctuary LA, uh, God said, this is your home. It was crystal clear. So, so immediately I take this leap of faith and God is confirming this is where you're supposed to be. God's giving me peace. He's giving me this freedom. He's bringing me new victories, new healing. I'm confident in myself. I'm discovering my spiritual gifts. Uh, TCMI was just a year of blessing upon blessing, icing on the cake. I go to game five of the 2018 World Series. I'm at the game that the Red Sox win it all at Dodger Stadium. And of course, I'm thinking of my grandfather, you know, during, during that game. So it's like just God's blessing. And uh, it was one of the best years of my life. So after TCMI, I, I get hired at uh, Teen Challenge in Riverside. So that's that's where I'm at today. I, uh, I work at Riverside Teen Challenge as a teacher. So so God took someone like me, petrified of, of public speaking, socially crippled, always on guard about what people think about him. And uh, he gave me a preaching ministry and, and a teaching ministry. Uh, not only not only do I teach and preach, but I'm I'm a resident advisor or uh, a resident pastor, and uh, even like right now I'm I'm in my last class of becoming a, a certified biblical counselor. So that's my heart is is discipleship. You know my my heart is watching that process unfold the same way it unfolded for me, and just having the privilege to be a part of that process for other people. So that's like that's. The, my favorite thing that I do is having the residents that are assigned to my caseload in my office and just having those one-on-ones and to see the veil lifted and to see them get that freedom and to start talking about things that they've been through that they've suppressed. So, you know, to be where I'm at now, where five years ago I was sitting where they're sitting, where now God, he, he uses my experiences. He uses my story. He uses my voice to be a tool for these men to go through that process. Man, it's uh, it's the best feeling uh, in the world. And really, um, so like last week, I actually got to teach at TCMI. And there were individuals at TCMI that were on my caseload in Riverside. So they're like taking that next step. So to see men get saved, you know, recognize their sin recognize their defense mechanisms, their core issues, talk about things they've never discussed, experience freedom, gain that relationship with Christ, get into God's word, allow the blood to cleanse of Jesus to cleanse those things. But then to take it a step further, uh, they get outside of themselves and recognize it's bigger than them and that God had a plan for them the whole time and that God's going to use them to pour into someone's life the same way he's using me to pour into theirs. And then to see them learn their spiritual gifts and to exercise their spiritual gifts and to be on fire for God, um, that, that's, that is the definition of the world throwing you in a trash can. You know, you're a drug addict, you're a loser, a disposable, you're never going to change. Look at all the things you've done. You're not worthy. And God pulls you out of that pit and says, I can use all of this. Don't throw away any of it. 
I'm going to recycle this. In fact, that was my plan the whole time. I have a purpose for all of this, right? And then seeing him do the same thing for other people, because I answered that call, you know, nothing, nothing beats that. So drug addict, junkie, loser, thief, liar, manipulator, adulterer, quitter. Um, I once had a lie engraved in my brain. Once an addict, always an addict. I was told I was diseased, you know, that I would always have depression chained by anger. Um, today, I'm an ordained minister, uh, becoming a licensed biblical counselor. I help oversee discipleship at Hopeland Church. Uh, my plan, and it will happen, is that I'm going to plant a church one day in Jesus' name. Um, every single relationship is restored. You know, uh, today, my stepmom is, is one of the nicest people you'll meet. She, uh, she works as a caregiver. <laughs> um, my stepdad and I, we, we embraced in a hug. You know, we tell each other, I love you. My parents have their son back. My siblings have their role model back. You know, my, my brother is here and he, he saw me go through some things when he was a teenager, but um, him seeing those things, he, he's never going to go through that. And uh, I'm just, I'm super proud of him. And he's just such a, a good boy, just such an awesome young man. And, and I know that him seeing that stuff, he'll, he'll never, he'll never go there. So, you know, God had me go through all that stuff as, as a proper training for what he had for me all along. And I'm just going to close with a couple things. So Revelation 12, 11 says, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. So no matter what the issue is, it comes back to the gospel, right? The blood of the lamb. And, and really our, our testimony, that's how the gospel plays out in our own lives personally, no matter what, what it is. So it was never about the drugs, right? The drugs, they're just a surface issue. Uh, really, the drugs were, were my response to what was going on. You know, there were, there were problems that I used as an excuse to be a rebel. And ultimately, underneath those problems was a void in my heart that I was not dealing with. So, you know, the drugs, the, uh, the money, the sex, the desire to fit in, those are, those are just an, an extension of what we all suffer. Um, the root is sin. And, and once I dealt with that is when God started peeling back the layers and he, he started dealing with those things. So like I can sit here today and say that I have a complete liberation from my past. Uh, I'm not a drug addict. I'm not a thief. I'm not an outcast. I'm, I'm not a failure. That shame and regret is taken care of. It is nailed to the cross. I don't have an unhealthy fear of people. You know, if, uh, if they don't like who I am in Christ, then they, they can keep it moving. That's, you know, that's, that's not my issue. So uh, just to, to bring it home, I'm going to close with this. God's done a lot for me, whether it's physical blessing, mentally restoring me emotionally, socially, spiritually. But, you know, there's three things I have now that I did not have before Christ. 
Uh, number one is hope. Okay. I was, I was in a complete state of hopelessness and there was, there was literally a time where I knew if I kept going, I was going to die. And, uh, and I didn't care, you know, um, death actually felt like the best solution in that moment. But now I have a living hope that I've been born into, as it says in first Peter one, three. So it's, it's not a worldly hope that's based on circumstances or feelings, but this is a hope that's attached to God's promises for me, which have never failed. So, so this hope is part of who I am and, uh, and I can't help it, but have hope. Uh, God literally brought me back to life three times. So this hope is, is literally living and active. Number two, I have purpose. Okay. I was always directionless in life. I remember even as a kid, when I was asked, you know, what do you want to do when you, when you grow up? I, uh, I never had an answer. And, and I understand now that it's because God had a plan all along and it was, it was meant to be revealed on his perfect timing. And it's, it's a purpose that's eternal. It's a, it's a purpose that involves souls. You know, it's, it's a purpose that involves recognizing the same brokenness that I experienced, you know, recognizing those same struggles and being able to say, Hey, I, I have the answer to this. And then number three, and this is the most important thing God has given me. And that's an identity. Um, this was missing for 25 years of my life. And uh, I, I was looking for identity in what people thought of me or worldly success or talent and abilities that weren't there or, uh, you know, title or access, whatever it was. But today, my identity is in a relationship with the one who created me. And, uh, you know, I've, I've never felt more confident in who I am as a person. I'm, I actually, I have a security today. I'm, I'm secure in the person I am. And, you know, I realize that some people are going to choose to remember me for my past. Right. And that's fine. And on the other end, people can choose to reject who I am in Christ. You know, that's fine too. But either way, like this is something that, that cannot be taken from me. Uh, I have an identity now. So, so yeah, that's, uh, that's my story. Um, I realize I, I probably went over a little bit, but I really appreciate you guys listening and, and taking the time. And, and like I said, I just hope that there was, there was a deposit of, of hope. I hope you enjoyed the message. And my prayer is that you will change your world as a result of what you've heard today. If you're ever in the LA area, join us for one of our weekend gatherings. And don't forget to follow us on social media. Peace.